Good morning. Good morning. Lovely to see you. Great to be together. And um, welcome to the street. I know you've already been welcomed, but welcome from me. It's lovely to have you here at the street. And um, I'm excited about this morning. Um, We're at the beginning of, as Nick said, we're at the beginning of the three-week series. This is week one. And this series is called One Small Step. And it's all about helping us as a, as, a, as a family, as a church, to take the next steps, to move forward in evangelism and going out with the good news of Jesus Christ into our worlds. And you might be wondering what the ladder is here for and why we have a moon up here um, on the ceiling too. I don't know whether you're wondering that, but um, I'll tell you what, back in 1969, Something very significant and world-changing happened in 1969. I was born. <laughs> um, it didn't take a ladder. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> I don't think it took a moon. But uh, no, something else happened actually in 1969, which was possibly even more world-shaping than my birth. Um, In 1969, Neil Armstrong was the first man to ever set foot on the moon, wasn't he? Amazing story, incredible adventure, and it had taken many years of scientific discovery. It had taken many advances in technology. It had taken lots of brilliant minds coming together and millions of dollars in order for him to get to this point. And, And there he was. And he arrived in his craft, and after landing, um, he opened up the door, and can you just imagine it? He he stepped out onto this purpose-built ladder that probably looked very little like this ladder here, but let's just pretend. And he stepped out onto this purpose-made ladder, and he began the descent down the ladder, step by step, rung by rung in his big moon boots. And, and when he got to the bottom of the ladder and he was on the final rung, he had one more step to take. And he took that step. And, and as his feet, as his moon boots hit the, the moon, he uttered those words that are now famous, aren't they? And they are, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And if he was saying it today, he'd probably say humankind, wouldn't he? But we'll let him off for being uh, sexist, (laughs) for being 1969-ish. Yeah, exactly. And there he was, one small step. And I I reckon, when I think about it, when I think about what that would have been like for him, I can barely imagine, but as as his foot went down and, and and he touched the moon... That one small step probably didn't feel like one small step. It probably felt disproportionately large as steps go. A bit like when you hit your thumb with a hammer and it feels, your thumb, it feels disproportionately large. You know that feeling. Have you ever taken a step that's just one step but that feels disproportionately large. Maybe you've done that in evangelism. Even just one small step forward 
in evangelism, and this is the amazing thing, even just one small step forward in evangelism can actually be a giant leap forward for you and for the person that you're sharing with. In fact, it may be for them, as you take that one small step, it may be that for them, they begin the adventure of discovering faith in Jesus Christ. It may even mean as you take that one small step that might feel huge, it may even mean for that person that you're sharing with that that's their moment to put their faith in Jesus Christ. How wonderful is that? We're kind of used to the whole moon thing now. We're kind of used to the idea that people might walk on the moon. I grew up knowing that people could walk on the moon. I never really aspired to it, but I knew that it was possible. It's kind of of common to us now. But one of the things that we've got to remember is that it wasn't common in 1969, right? And in actual fact, this was massive. This was way outside of the experience of the human race. This was way outside of anyone's comfort zone. No one had ever done this. This was unknown territory. No one had touched the surface of the moon. And in fact, there were questions about what that was going to be like. Indeed, even about, you know, how much dust, how much that dust layer, how deep that dust layer is on the, on the moon. And, and would the craft kind of sink? How far would it sink? All these questions that people had before this actually happened. And so, as Neil Armstrong began to climb down that ladder rung by rung, step by step, can you imagine the sense of excitement that's in him? He's about to be the guy. He's about to be the first one, right? That excitement, that joy, that anticipation. And can you imagine that fear that was right there with it? You know that duo of emotions? Fear and excitement kind of together like that? It's common, isn't it? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever experienced that duo of emotions, that common to mankind, common to humanity, duo of emotions? You know, as I as I look through the Bible and I and I read the stories of the real people here who went out and told people about Jesus, I see that nine times out of ten, there's this excitement and joy, and there's this fear, and they're together. And when I read other books and people have written books about what, you know, their experiences of going out and telling people about Jesus, I see that it's very common to have this excitement and this fear. And as I talk with my friends and, and in my life group and, and we share about what it's like to talk about and to share Jesus, I find that it's really common to have these same two emotions. And when we look right back to the very first person who was a messenger of the gospel, we see these two emotions at play. And the person I'm talking about is a lady called Mary. And she was a friend of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And after he died, his body was put in the tomb. And the next morning, she went to the tomb. And she got there and there was this violent earthquake. That's enough to make you terrified. And she's expecting that Jesus' body is in the tomb. And, and yet there's this earthquake and then there's this angel who appears, this, this 
massive angel who appears. And this angel is dressed in lightning, clothes like lightning, and the angel rolls back the stone door from the tomb and says to Mary that Jesus isn't there anymore, but that he's risen. And the angel says to her, now go and tell the other followers of Jesus that this is what's going on, that this is what's happening. And the person who wrote that story down, Matthew, he tells it like this. He says, so departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. That common fear-joy combo. Mary's that first messenger ever of the gospel. She's got the gospel message with her, but she hasn't told anybody yet. And she's filled with fear and joy as she runs to the disciples. And I wonder how you feel as you hold the message of the gospel as as she held it. As you recognize that you are a messenger of the gospel, that you have with you this message, this story, this truth that says that Jesus Christ died for the sin of the world and he's not dead anymore, he has risen. And I wonder how you feel knowing that God calls you a messenger, a taker of the message to give the message. And I wonder if there's joy and fear. When you think about it, evangelism is a little bit like landing on the moon. And if this were a picture of evangelism right here, and and if there were a, a spacecraft up here, I wonder where you, if we bring up that picture of the astronaut, I wonder where you would see yourself, if this were evangelism, where are you in this picture? Right now, where are you? Maybe you're still up in the spacecraft and and you're sitting there and you're going, hmm, it's a nice idea, but send someone else. I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to sit here. I've made it this far but I'm not getting out. I'm not not even opening the door. Leave me alone. Maybe that's you. Or perhaps you have opened up the door and you've begun your descent down the ladder and and you've, you've got to a certain rung, but something's just holding you back and that's where you're staying. You've come a wee way, that's good, but you're just kind of there, just there. Or possibly... You've come all the way down the ladder. You've put your feet on the moon. You've walked out. And maybe it didn't go so well. Maybe, maybe there was some, some mockery, some difficulty in the relationships. And maybe it didn't go so well. Maybe you've scurried back up the ladder. And you've gone back up. And you're back up in the craft. Or possibly you've left it, you've come down, you've walked on the moon and and you've caught the bug of evangelism and there's no going back and you're bounding along. You know, they say that that the the astronauts kind of move like kangaroos. I'm not really going to do it, but you get the idea. They move like, they bounce like kangaroos. And maybe you're just bouncing along and and now that you've started, you know, nothing's going to stop you. This is the best thing you've ever done. This is what you were made for. Maybe that is where you are, and it's just incredible. You know what, no matter where you are in that picture, 
no matter from one extreme to the other and everything in between, I want to ask you three questions today. And the first question is this. What if no one had taken that small step to tell you about Jesus Christ? No one. First question. Second question. What would happen if you embraced the fear that comes alongside the excitement? What if you just accepted that, you know what? That's just how it is. Embrace the fear and do it anyway. And you just did it anyway. Hmm. And the third question is, what if? What if together, as a church, together we embarked on the adventure of evangelism? What if we did it together? What if all of us as individuals, as life groups, as friends, as families, what if all of us together took one small step? What might be the giant leap that occurs in our city on account of our one small steps? What could that be? And how would that even look? You know, the reality of it is, is it looks different for all of us. And at different stages, it's different for all of us. And I was, I was looking for people to have a little bit of a story from here about what's going on in evangelism. So I was talking to my friend, Rachel, and she's got a wee story to share with you. So Rachel, if you stand up and let's give her a nice warm welcome. Good morning, everyone. It's with fear and joy that I share. <laughs> um, so... My husband and I live in a sort of like a cul-de-sac community. So there's 21 homes, and we've always hosted a Christmas function. And um, a large part of that has been our heart, that we want to meet our neighbours, we want to share Christ with them. But it had always been a really nice time. Everyone left, thank you, thank you. But that was all. And, um, you know, of course we still communicated with them during the year, but it didn't sort of go the next step. And um, after coming... Um, and hearing messages about, you know, increasing your evangelism temperature and wanting to see more people saved, um, we thought, right, what can we do to just take it that next step? And it literally was just another step. Mm. And so um, they all came at Christmas time and we stood up and we welcomed them and we just said how special Christmas was for us as Christians, celebrating Christ's birth. Just a really simple thing like that. And then said, we'd love you guys if you would like to join us for our church production. And um, we had a couple of families come. Mm. And it also has opened up um, discussions for our faith. So um, we're really excited and we're just prayerful about the next step. Mm. So, Fantastic. Yeah. Well done. So good. The reality of what it's like in our real lives, eh? One small step. And so over these three weeks, what we're going to be doing is focusing on how we go about taking this one small step and, and joining together, together on an adventure as a whole church in um, the adventure of, of outreach. And we're going to be looking at the means of the gospel. 
We're going to be looking at the message of the gospel, and we'll be looking at the messenger of the gospel. So today, it's all about the means of the gospel. What is the means? What is the power by which we share the gospel? Well, Pastor Jim Chimbala from New York said this, and I found it really interesting. He said, we can blame tough neighborhoods, new age thinking, and immoral entertainment all we want. But when has the environment not been difficult for the gospel? Think of what the early church faced in hostile Jerusalem and the pagan Roman Empire. Yet they received power from on high and did exploits for God instead of just talking to themselves. Their preaching and witnessing had a dimension of spirit, a supernatural ability that we are sadly lacking today. You know, I think he's right, and I think that sometimes we forget that Christianity is actually supernatural. It's not a natural thing. It is of the Spirit, and it is supernatural. It's a whole nother realm. And I wonder if we were to go out to the full church of New Zealand right now, and we were to canvas them, and we were to say, all right, church of New Zealand, in order for us to reach our generation with the gospel right now, right here, what do we need? I wonder what would come back in such a survey. And I I wonder if we would hear things like, oh, we need more programs. We need better training. Um, We need opportunities. We need a sympathetic government. We need a change in culture. We need up-to-date resources. We need concerts. We need... I wonder what the answers would be. The fact of the matter is that the most significant thing of all that we need is that we need supernatural power. In the book of Acts, it's interesting to read how Jesus put this. Jesus was gathered with his friends, his disciples, and he had died, he had risen from the dead, and he was gathered with his disciples, and they were together, and this is before he went back up to heaven, before the ascension, and he said to them, so on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. For the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that as Jesus gathered his disciples together, the first instruction he gave them was not to go out with the gospel at this point. But actually, it was to wait. It was to wait until they received the Holy Spirit. They were not to go out and try to share the gospel in their own strength and in their own abilities. And if you can imagine, these disciples had been with Jesus for these few years, and they'd always had him with them, and so they had the power, right? And so in Jesus, he always knew what to say. Have you noticed that about Jesus? He always knew what to say. And he always had the perfect metaphor and the perfect story. And he had just the right question, didn't he? And Jesus was the best listener. And he always knew when to speak and when to remain 
silent. He didn't ever get that wrong. Oh boy, I get that wrong so often. He never got that wrong. And he always knew what town to visit and what street to go down and what person to address. And then he healed and he performed all these miracles and the disciples had been with him all this time. They'd had the power with them, but he was about to go. And they needed that power. So he said, basically, whatever you do, don't leave without the power. Whatever you do, wait. Wait until you receive the Holy Spirit. And so they did. And, you know, the the Bible tells us, when we read the the whole New Testament, the Bible tells us that that was kind of a unique situation, really, for these early disciples, because the Holy Spirit had not yet been sent from heaven to the believers. So they had to wait until the Holy Spirit was sent, and then they could go out. They'd been made witnesses. They went out as witnesses. Now, for us, for every single person now who comes to put their faith in Jesus Christ and receive him as their Savior, and that, the Bible calls that being born again, that in the moment that that happens for someone, not only is our sin removed forever, not only is eternal life given to us, but also the very Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, is put inside us. And so that's why in Romans it says that if you don't have the Spirit, you're not a child of God. Right? So in that moment of salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit. So we don't have this command of wait. Do you get that? You're born again, you're empowered by the Holy Spirit right now, you're a witness, full stop, right? So we don't don't have this command, wait at the Street City Church until you receive the Holy Spirit, right? That's not how it is, okay? Before you dare, we let you loose on Wellington. No, you already have the Holy Spirit. But how often do we engage in our lives quite disconnected from the supernatural power that is ours? How often do we actually go about our lives doing our stuff in the natural? And and even although we have the Holy Spirit within us, I believe that what we need to do is we need to daily be calling on God, Lord, fill my whole life with your Holy Spirit. Pour out afresh on me. Pour out your power in me, through me. God, would you direct my thinking? Would you show me when to speak and when to listen? Would you give me the words? Would you bring divine appointments across my path and eyes to see them? Oh God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on the people that I care about, on the people that you want me to share the gospel with? God, I understand that that if it's just a good work I'm doing or if it's just words, Lord, that's nothing. They need the Holy Spirit. So the friends that we're interacting with, they actually need the Holy Spirit to open their minds, to open their hearts, to bring them revelation, to enlighten them to the gospel, to give them faith to believe. You can't do that in the natural. They can't do that in the natural. You can't make it happen in the natural. You see, the gospel is a supernatural message requiring supernatural power. Do we remember this? On Monday, do I remember this? On Saturday and Saturday night, do I remember this? Or am I a little bit like I fly to the moon 
and I open up the door and I get out on the ladder, dressed in swimming togs and a snorkel. It's just not going to cut it, is it? We need the Holy Spirit in evangelism more than you need anything else in evangelism. You need the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus promises power. And a little bit later in Acts 1 verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus promised that when the Holy Spirit came, power would come. That they're, they're, they're like this. And the power they needed to be his witnesses sharing the gospel wherever they went was by the Holy Spirit. The gospel is a supernatural message which requires supernatural power. And the results of this power are immense. Absolutely immense. You know, I've just finished recently reading the book of Acts and um, every year I go through the Bible as a one-year Bible experience so that I get to enjoy the entire Bible every year. And so I've just been in Acts and it's, oh my goodness, isn't it amazing? The book of Acts, just incredible. If you've never read the book of Acts, go to your Bible and find it. It's in the New Testament and it'll blow your socks off. And one of the things that that really blows my mind with the book of Acts is just how obvious it is that the disciples depended on the Holy Spirit. They were desperately dependent. We actually are too. Maybe we just don't know it like they knew it. They knew it. And then we have story after story after story in the book of Acts of the, the result of this dependency on the Holy Spirit in sharing the gospel. Let me tell you about one of those stories. So it's in Acts chapter three and chapter four and a couple of the disciples, Peter and John, they have just healed a lame man. And this guy, he was a beggar and, um, because he was lame and he'd been lame since he was um, born and he was now in his 40s. It's a, it's a long time, isn't it? And so Peter and John had healed him and they'd said, in the name of Jesus, you're healed. And, and this had caused a lot of trouble because the Jewish authorities were not happy about this. And so they had Peter and John locked up and put into jail. And, you know, I've never actually been locked up and put in jail and told you must never speak the name of Jesus again by the police here in Wellington. And I think if that happened to me, I would probably have a couple of responses. I would probably um, tend to shrink back a little bit after that and think, oh, I'll, I'll just tone it down a bit. Um, and I would possibly also be praying to God, Lord, please make it easier in Wellington to share the gospel. But that's not what Peter and John did. And after they get released, it's really interesting. We get a little bit of a, of a look into their prayer and what they say to God. And verse 29 of Acts 4 says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Cool, eh? And they say, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Isn't that the opposite? They didn't pray that things would get easy for them. They didn't tone it down a bit. They prayed that God would, in the light of the threats and the persecution they were facing, that God would give them power. 
that God would make them so bold that they would have great boldness to speak the name of Jesus in these places. And they prayed that God himself would move in power and perform signs and wonders in Jesus' name. The very thing that got them into trouble they prayed for. Wow. When was the last time you prayed a prayer like that? When you knew you were about to go out into the world, when was the last time you stole that prayer and prayed it? And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, just like he promised. And they spoke the word of God boldly. God responded to their prayer for power. He poured out the Holy Spirit and he gave them boldness. The early believers, they understood that without the power of the Holy Spirit, there was no way that the people around them would come to know Jesus. And they knew that without the power of the Holy Spirit, there was no way that they would have the courage to tell people about Jesus. And it's exactly the same now, isn't it? The gospel is a supernatural message that requires supernatural power. And we need the Holy Spirit to give us boldness. We need the Holy Spirit to give us courage. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us, to prompt us, to direct us. And we need to be praying that the Holy Spirit would be opening eyes, opening hearts, opening minds, bringing people, drawing people to Jesus. You know what? I wonder whether we need some signs and wonders and miracles and healings. And I wonder if maybe in our our country, in our city, we are so post-Christian that we need the power of God to be displayed in ways that maybe, you know, maybe for some time the church has enjoyed the power stuff for itself. And maybe that's not what the intention ever was. And maybe we need to be able to show that we have a powerful, all-powerful God who powerfully loves these people and he will powerfully show it. And so we are on an adventure in evangelism as a church. Sometimes taking one small step can feel like a giant leap, but sometimes taking one small step will be a giant leap for the person you care about. And we're doing it together. Someone took that small step for you. Are you willing to take that small step for someone else? Let's stand. And we're going to commit these things to God. And I invite you to shut your eyes so that you can just be focused. There's a step that every single one of us, there's a next step for every single one of us. Maybe you know what that step is and you need the courage to take it. Maybe you don't know what that step is and you need God to reveal it. Would you just talk to the Lord about that right now? And as you do, would you confess before the Lord your need for the Holy Spirit's power in evangelism? Would you ask him for courage and power.
sing. And as we do, I just encourage you to continue with that prayer in your heart to the Lord.